people of God in Christ, we, uh, we arrived this morning at the final three verses of, uh, of Paul's well-known armor of God passage um, in Ephesians chapter 6. And, and having laid out, as it were, uh, six distinct pieces of armor, uh, Paul now closes with the call to prayer. Prayer as well must be listed and uh, counted within the inventory of the armor of God. Prayer no less than the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness, no less in fact than any of these six pieces of armor must be put on by the one who expects to stand against the schemes of the devil. Clearly, Paul doesn't assign a a metaphorical image for prayer like he does for truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace, like he does for faith and salvation and the word of God. For prayer, Paul simply sounds forth the call to pray. As he writes in verses 18 and 19, praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints, and also for me. So let's talk about prayer this morning. And uh, let's talk about prayer by noting that uh, Paul doesn't just call us to prayer. In other words, he doesn't just say pray. Even as he calls us to prayer, he also defines prayer in certain ways. Uh, Just like we did last time with faith, Uh, We must define prayer according to the Word of God with the same humility uh, with which we ask, what is faith? We also need to ask, what is prayer? And no matter how old or young we might be, we we need to be willing to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Uh, Teach me uh, uh, what prayer is. Because just as the world, and sadly at times uh, even the church, is given to define uh, faith according to man's wisdom and not God's, so, so prayer is likely to get defined differently from the Word of God. So even as we hear the, the Spirit calling us to pray, let's also hear these three points that would serve to give us a right understanding of what prayer is. Firstly, then, let's hear not just the call to prayer, but the call to pray in the Spirit. Paul writes in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. And we simply mean to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And before we answer, as, as we must, uh, by way of the immediate context of this passage, let's also note that Scripture uses such language elsewhere as well. There are a number of passages that either speak of praying in the Spirit or that make the connection for us between prayer and the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. For example, in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, we're currently taking a break from Romans, but here we come back to Romans. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, 
words that I'm sure you will recognize. He writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, so here is, is made the clear connection between prayer and the Holy Spirit. And the point is that the Spirit is with us as we pray, and that God, by His Spirit within us, knows our burdens. The end result is that we don't have to pray as if to inform God of our burdens and troubles. God already knows our hearts because his spirit indwells his people. Just as you don't have to inform your own spirit uh, about what is troubling you, so you don't have to inform God because his spirit is just as much within you as your own spirit is. Think about that. The story that comes to mind here is the story of Elijah uh, on Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19. Perhaps you recall the the story of Elijah competing with the prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel. God sends fire down from heaven to burn up not just the sacrifice, but the altar as well. And in the end, uh, Elijah had the prophets of Baal put to death, but all of this resulted in Queen Jezebel being furious and, and vowing to kill Elijah and sending Elijah off on a, on a, uh, uh, on, on a fleeing journey. Uh, and uh, God himself uh, tells him, go to Mount Horeb. And, and uh, Elijah arrives there at Mount Horeb. And yet, uh, after that, uh, God asks Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? We can only imagine Elijah saying, well, what do you mean? What am I doing here? You, you, you told me to go here. But what we come to find out is that Elijah, or, or that God was not asking the question for information, but inviting, calling, urging Elijah to pray and to speak his mind and to say what was on his heart. So why should we think to tell an all-knowing God what our troubles are? Well, because it's good for us to, to do that, and because it honors Him when we admit and confess our weakness and our need for God's strength. So as we hear the call to pray in the Spirit, we ought to remember the promise of Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise of God is that believers in Christ are, are vessels of the Holy Spirit. The promise of God coming from the very lips of Jesus is that he would not leave us as orphans, but that he, he himself would come to us and he said, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and, and I in you. Indeed, upon his ascension, Jesus said further, and behold, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Well, how then should we understand the call of Ephesians 6.18 to pray in the Spirit uh, or, or the call of Jude uh, 20 and 21, which says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Uh, or, or how should we understand the words of, of John in Revelation chapter 1 when he says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day? To pray in the Spirit is to pray with the knowledge and the assurance that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. To pray in the Spirit is to pray under the conviction that when we speak, God hears. Indeed, even when we are at a loss for words, God hears and knows our hearts because his spirit is within us. And so to be in the spirit, as John was in Revelation 1, to be in the spirit is quite simply to be in prayer. In the end, what, what an unnecessary and foolish burden it is for us to hear the call, to pray in the Spirit, and to think that this is, first of all, some, some mysterious reference that we have to decipher, and secondly, to think that we have to figure out how to, how to, how to get into the Spirit. Perhaps we have to you know, take up some posture that will give us or, or that will put us in the Spirit. Maybe, maybe there's some way to alter our brain waves in order to get in the Spirit. Music. Uh, yeah, surely it's about playing the right music, or maybe lighting a candle in order to get in the Spirit. And in the, and in the end, how do you really know that you've arrived in the Spirit to pray in the Spirit? What an unnecessary and foolish burden to take upon ourselves and how contrary to to the comfort that this verse is meant to give us. Paul is not calling us to figure out how to get ourselves into the Spirit. He's, He's reminding us that the Spirit of Christ is in us. He's not saying get in the Spirit and pray. He's calling us to pray exactly because the Spirit is in us. So what's the wider context to be considered? A context that surely we, uh, uh, we must use to understand the, the call to pray in the Spirit. It's, it's, it's this understanding of what, of what it is to be in the Spirit, that we are in the Spirit. But we ought to note how well this, uh, this wider context fits with the, the immediate context even of this very passage. Uh, let's recall that Paul makes the reference in verse 17 to take up the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So let me just reread the second part of verse 17 along with the first part of verse 18 together for the sake of context. It goes like this. Take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. In this way, can we not hear that Paul is is calling us to to pray in the Spirit in the sense of praying according to the Word of God. In other words, Paul is not calling us to, to reinvent 
prayer. He's not calling us to design our own version of what prayer is, but to pray in the Spirit. That is, to, to pray according to God's Word. It's the Word of God that not, not, that not only calls us to pray, but that teaches us what prayer is. It's the Word of God that teaches us how it is that we can pray, namely with Christ as our, as our mediator. Even more, it's the Word of God that teaches us what we are to pray for. Of course, on a, on a very simple level, praying is, is talking to God. But prayer more specifically and definitely is responding in faith to God's holy and inspired Word. Prayer is laying hold of the, of the promises of the gospel, that, that, that God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, that, that he is with us by his Spirit, that he loves us, and that he hears us, and that he knows even the groans of our hearts. Once again, what a great loss we incur when we pull these words out of context what, what comfort and reassurance is afforded us when we understand that to pray in the Spirit is to pray according to the Word of God. Except for the Word of God, we, we wouldn't even know who we're praying to. Apart from God's Word and the promises of the Gospel, we're left whispering in the dark, unsure of who God is, unsure of whether He is listening, and, and even with the nagging conviction that God... Uh, that the God we need to hear us is the God who is our judge for sin. How do you get around that? How do you get through that? And what is it that removes all the uncertainty and the, and, and the conviction of our sin? The call to pray in the Spirit, to pray according to God's Word and according to the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's turn to a second point now, a, a second point to understand by Paul's teaching what prayer is. Let's consider the relationship between prayer and alertness. Paul writes to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The first question here is, what is the end that Paul refers to here when he writes to that end, keep alert. Notice that he writes, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then he repeats the word supplication when he writes, making supplication for all the saints. So his reference to that end is likely to the call to supplication. In other words, supplication is the end to which we must keep alert. But what is this word supplication? Not a real common word. Am I right in, in the English language? And to start with, we can uh, answer that supplication is asking God for things. And in that respect, we are, I think, not slow to make supplication to God. Some significant majority of the content of, uh, of our prayers is likely to be supplication. 
In fact, it might be the, the, the confession of our sin and praise and thanksgiving to God that we need to be more intentional about. But even as we might be encouraged to uh, fill our prayers with more praise and thanksgiving to God, let's not miss the point that supplication, asking God for things, things we need and maybe just things we desire, this is definitely something that we should be doing. Let's not think that we shouldn't supplicate God, that we shouldn't seek from Him His blessings. Again, whether it's what we need or what we simply desire. James 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. That's pretty powerful. From the lips of our Lord himself, he said, Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. But we also need to note that supplication really means more than just ask. If you, uh, if you look up the word supplication uh, in the dictionary, you, you will see that it means to ask or beg for something earnestly and humbly. So supplication is more than saying, may I have this and may I have that. To offer supplication to God is, is to go to Him in, in full dependence upon Him, to go to Him with urgency. And it's not a matter of deciding that we are going to depend upon Him. It's not a matter of making it an urgent matter to prayer to pray. Instead, it's the matter of realizing and, and acknowledging how much we do depend upon God. Not because we decide to, but simply because that's the reality. He is our Creator, and apart from Him, as David says, we have no good thing. He is our sustainer, and apart from him, we die. Uh, he is our sovereign Savior through Jesus Christ, and unless he has first given us faith, we will not come to him in prayer at all. Unless he sustains our faith, that faith that he has given us, we will not persevere on our own. The bottom line is that, that for many Christians, and you can decide if this applies to you, but I'm convinced that Christians, myself included at times, we, we, we pray too politely or, or with a significant reserve of dignity. Uh, in other words, our, our prayers are, are more a matter of saying, uh, I would like to have this and, and, and may I have that, rather than praying out of our utter dependence upon God and, and His grace, saying, Oh God, wh what am I going to do if you do not bless me? And instead of just asking for success on a, on a test, or good weather for a golf outing, or healing from a cold, we need to be confessing in prayer our, our weakness and, and our utter dependence upon God, and, and praying, as the as the tax collector in the in the uh, in the temple, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And God, sustain my faith. Keep me looking to Christ and to him alone for my salvation. Lead me not into temptation. Keep me from sin. Sustain my life. Grant me this day my daily bread. And keep me healthy and strong in body and in faith to do your work. And this, I believe, is what Paul is talking about when he calls us to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a matter of being aware of our relationship to God, our our utter dependence upon Him, and and being willing to pray out of the sense of our weakness and, and out of our urgent need for God's blessing. Yes, some of the things that we might pray for, pray for are those that we would rather have than not have. But a majority of the things that we might ask for are things that we need and must have and can only get from God. Things like food and drink and shelter and clothing, things like life and, and survival, faith and the perseverance of faith and protection from sin. It's not that we would rather have these things than not have them. We need them. And we must supplicate God for what we need. Of course, it's our, it's our nature in sin not to be alert, to be instead oblivious to our utter dependence upon God and His grace. That's, that's why we need to be urged and, and warned to Keep alert. Here we have the story of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we read earlier, where, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John aside and, and said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. In other words, keep alert, said Jesus. And Jesus went to pray by himself and He was supplicating his father, saying, If it be possible, my father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And what happened? Three times. Jesus prayed the same prayer, and he came back three times and found them sleeping. And after the third time, he said, It is enough. After the third time, he had the answer to his his threefold prayer. The disciples were sleeping. They were not alert, and he had to go to the cross for them. So it's our nature in sin not to be alert. The, the disciples are a picture of us. Can, can we not admit that? It's our nature not to be alert, not to realize our need, not to... Um, or, or maybe to realize it and yet deny it, or to refuse to acknowledge uh, our weakness. Do we know our weakness? To the degree that we know it, to that degree, we will pray. It's really just that simple. If, if you don't pray as much as you should, and you probably know that that's the case, if you don't pray as much as you should, uh, if, if you pray more politely, simply asking God than supplicating God, then it's because you are self-confident and 
and too oblivious to your utter dependence upon God. And this, again, the same is true for me. So, you know, here's where the, the preacher comes to an impasse, so to speak, because because what more can be said? It's really up to God to make us to know our weakness and so to move us uh, to pray. It's really a little bit of a dangerous thing to ask God to help you to pray more. How's that going to happen? It's going to come through suffering in your life. It's going to come through God showing your, your weakness. You know, there's... there. Um, th- there are no atheists in foxholes, as as the old saying goes. Well, um, what's going to bring you? Not that you're an atheist, but what's going to bring you to to pray more? Is it not going to be uh, times of difficulty and and times by which God is 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 uh, showing your your weakness? Kind of a dangerous thing to. <laughs> You know, the same thing applies to patience. You know, you, you know, God, give me patience. Be careful with that one. Because how are you going to learn patience? By God calling upon you to wait. How are you going to, be, to pray more? How are you going to become more alert? Only as God shows you your weakness and your dependence and your need, uh, your reliance upon him. But to this point, we've been overlooking a rather clear prepositional phrase, for all the saints. Talking about prayer for ourselves, but here it says prayer uh, for all the saints. Again, the point is not that we shouldn't be praying for ourselves, uh, but the specific call here is, is actually to make supplication for all the saints. And so the call to keep alert is sounded not just with respect to our own need, but to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, My duty is to pray for you, and your duty is to pray for me. And you've heard me say this before, but I say it again, that, you know, take your bulletin with you. Uh, Take your, your prayer list from church with you. Tuck it in your Bible. Use it every day in your devotions to be praying for each other here at Terre Haute uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church. Finally, prayer for proclamation. Uh, What is prayer, specifically and definitely, that Paul calls us to? It's to pray for the proclamation of the gospel. Do do you do this? Uh, In verse 19, he says, And also for me. Not that he's not one of the saints, but he's saying, pray for me as I, as I preach the gospel. Pray that I would be bold. Pray that I would, I would uh, preach God's word, the, the gospel, uh, boldly and clearly as I ought and as I must. Ironically, the first two points really lead to and have application in praying for the proclamation of the gospel. Praying in the Spirit means praying to a God who is close to his people. Indeed, praying to a God who indwells his people by his Spirit. But that is also a reminder that God is in this world. When we pray, we don't have to climb a mountain. 
as if God is way up there and, and we're way down here. When we pray, we are praying to a God who is with us and who is at work in this world. And how is he at work? He's at work through the preaching of the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It may be a rather startling thing to learn, especially if we, if we truly know our weakness, that, that God is at work in this world through the preaching of the gospel and that we, the church, are the ones through whom he's doing his work. And here's where Paul comes around to adding offense or offense to defense. Uh, We started out by saying that the armor of God is largely about defense. The, The victory is won. Christ has come. Christ has resisted the temptations of the evil one. He has lived the perfect life of obedience under the law. He has died and risen again. And Satan is a defeated enemy. His doom is sealed, and until that day, he is on the attack. And the armor of God is all about remembering the victory of Christ, the truth of God, the righteousness that is by faith, the gospel of peace, and the salvation that is ours by faith in Christ, and all by taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see it all, how it all fits together, and it fits together defensively. Exactly because Christ has done the offense for us. But now the offense comes to us in this way or, or form through the call of Christ that we preach the gospel, that we announce and proclaim to the world the good news of what he has done. So Paul calls upon the church to pray for him exactly because he's He's not just carrying out his ministry, but the ministry of the church. Granted, not everyone is is an ordained preacher, but we all together, can we understand this? We all together bear the duty and and share the ministry of, of, of the preaching of the gospel. Some of us prepare, pray, and preach. You ever heard that? That's the pastor's duty to prepare, pray, and preach. Others of us pray, pray, and pray. And what should we pray? Paul leaves no doubt as to what we should pray. Boldness. Pray also for me, writes Paul, that words would be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel that I may declare it boldly as I ought to as I ought to speak. And why ought he to speak boldly? Because it's good news. It's the best news. It's the news the world needs to hear. It's exactly what this sad world needs to hear. And ultimately, of course, because it's unto Christ's glory. Well, all analogies come up short here, but for the sake of illustration. Preaching the gospel is like letting people know that the income tax has been repealed. 
Imagine with me that it's tax time, it's mid-April, and imagine with me that the federal government has repealed the income tax. What a message to bring to people. You don't have to, you don't have to pay your taxes. In fact, don't pay your taxes. I mean, it's, if you insist on paying your taxes, we'll go ahead, I guess, but you certainly don't have to. And that's the message of the gospel. Only infinitely better. The message of the gospel is that payment for sin has been made. You don't have to pay for your own sin. If you insist on paying for your own sin, you certainly may in hell, but you don't have to. It's been paid. Surely this message should be boldly proclaimed in the world. And that's what Paul calls us to pray, that those who stand in pulpits will be bold, that um, those who take the message into the streets will be bold, that those on the mission field will be bold to open their mouths and to proclaim the mystery of the gospel made clear that Christ has paid the price and that the good news is for forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Grant us, O Lord, boldness as your word calls us to pray. So we do pray now that you would uh, give boldness to each of us and to, uh, especially to those who stand in pulpits to preach. O Lord, we pray that your church would be bold. And bold exactly because we recognize um, not only the, the trouble that the world is in, but that we recognize the answer that is provided in the gospel and through your finished work for us and for the salvation of your people. O oh Lord, grant us to be bold. Grant us to be your people of prayer and uh, indeed build your church and to grow us as a church here at Terre Haute Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, grow us each and every week and use us mightily in your kingdom work. In Christ's name, in your name, Lord Jesus, do we pray. Amen.